Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay. So, that's your little history lesson. But more than any other book of the Bible, Isaiah presents us with a, uh, just a unique understanding of God. Because this is God speaking, and with the sheer volume, God really reveals himself. You, you can't not know God after this study. <laughs> so it, it's just, it, it, it's unbelievable. And what, what God makes clear through Isaiah is that there are no other gods. So it's not like the one true God and several other gods. God is the only God. Every other religion is, is false. They make stone idols, they make wooden idols, they make whatever and worship that. But that means nothing. Uh, you remember when we studied Samuel and the Philistines kept coming and attacking and stealing and doing anything. Well, they remember they came, came and, and uh, uh, they, they got the Ark of the Covenant and took that and put that in, in front of the statue of their god, Dagon. This big, huge statue. And remember what happened? That night, God knocked the statue over. <laughs> well, they woke up in the morning, and, well, that's not right. They put the statue back up. Next night, God knocked it over again, but broke the arms off of this God. In other words, this God has no power. And they finally realized, well, there's something. And they returned the ark. <laughs> We're not messing with you people. Right? So, yeah, that's, that's the point. So all other religions to this day are not real there's no, there's no basis of salvation in any other religion. And that's the point Isaiah is going to make very, very strongly from God himself. Well, wait a minute. Right. The Muslims believe they get 17 virgins or whatever. 72. Oh, okay, 72. So isn't that um, a reward? <laughs> they can believe all they want, but that's not true. That's what I'm saying. So what? what oh, I thought you said no one had reward. No, what, what? Whatever any other religion offers is not real. So, and God has a sense. God has a sense of humor. So, um, seventy-two virgins. They might be male. Yes, yes. Seventy-two male nerds with pocket protectors and everything. It. Uh, yeah. So it's like I say. Those. Those are just ridiculous thing when you when you look at and uh we, we did it in a young adult group we've done it in in the uh, uh youth group uh done an extensive study of other religions and when you look at what other i would highly encourage you to do that because i know that if you look it's it's, it's not that you're going to like other religions you're going to look at them and say holy cow this is ridiculous remember how hard we laughed at you know some of these other religions are just hilarious in what they offer you know my, my favorite's hindu you know you 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 be the be the best person you can be and follow follow this religion and you're you're reincarnated as a cow. <laughs> that that's the best it can be. <laughs> so yeah, like I say, you just yeah, Buddhism, Hindu, Muslim, uh, Judaism. Uh, you look at all of those. You know, Judaism offers you nothing. 
they don't believe in, in heaven. So when you die, you die. The, the only thing you get is if God really likes you, you will have a son to carry on your name. Whoop-dee-doo. <laughs> right? I mean, it just that's it. That's as good as it gets. So when you look at all of the religions, I don't care which one you look at, it's just ridiculous what, what they're offering. And again, they're just, they're just words. They're just idle promises that, that mean nothing. And, but the problem we're experiencing here is that, see, Israel had this tendency to always look around and see what other countries are doing. Because other countries have religion also. You see, that's the problem. And when Israel was experiencing a drought or some particularly bad time period, and they looked at one of their neighbors who was prospering, they thought that, well, their God must have something on the ball here. <laughs> that maybe we had better integrate at least part of that religion into our religion. They did that constantly. They're doing it here. Because the Assyrians now control the whole world. Obviously, they have a huge military machine. They have their act together. You know, They have to have something we don't have. So we'll take a look at their religion and start integrating aspects of their religion into ours which is yeah, an incredible breach of the covenant <laughs> right, that God established with the people. And you know, it just, so that's why God sends a prophet when it gets, gets to that point. Because again, go back to what I originally said. In their mindset, it was always, if, if things are going well, you're blessed. If they're not, you're, you're cursed. So if you see somebody who's blessed, then I wanna, I wanna do what that person is doing so that I too can be blessed equally. It kind of makes sense, but it's way wrong. <laughs> and so every prophet tries to correct that in all these generations, but the people just never never get it. It's really funny when you look at it. Hey, how, how do they know that a prophet is really a prophet? If that's so. Yes. You know, you know what I'm saying? Because we got a lot of, lot of, lot of people today who say they're prophets and mm -hmm. um, <coughs> Yeah, it's especially today. It, it's I think a lot harder to verify because yeah. And how, did, how, how did they know? How did they verify it then? I mean, right. Yeah, you verify it by the authenticity of the words. So there's a lot, a lot of prophets today that yeah, seems obvious that there's a, a a mental disorder going on there that they think they're prophets, but when you because you listen to the message. And the message does not line up with, and that's, with scripture, that, with that the truth. That was the guiding right. uh, principle back then to say, well, this guy is truly legitimate because right. he is. Okay. I'm so glad you brought that up because you know, as, as, as pastor, I, I don't call myself a prophet, but I have a semi-prophetic role, do I not? In preaching, I'm simply sharing with you what God says, like a prophet. And you have the choice to accept that or reject it, but it is your responsibility to check the authenticity of what I am saying to make sure that I am <coughs> revealing the truth of God. So, but yeah, that's that's easy. And if you listen to somebody long enough, yeah, yeah they, some, they, some of them not very long. Exactly, <laughs> you pick it up in the first five minutes. But and the the other factor is the I've experienced this a number of times in my life is. Um, with some with someone who says they're a prophet and and are not, you get a, I mean, a gut feeling. 
I mean, it's literally in your gut, and you can't figure out what that is, but there's an uneasiness. And you, you, you're not sure what it is yet. It might take you a day, a week, a month, or whatever to, to come to that conclusion, but sooner or later, you, oh, that's it. Yeah, because that's, that's way wrong, <laughs> right? But initially, you get that, that gut reaction that the Holy Spirit's trying to get your attention, saying, no, no, warning, warning, Will Robinson. Uh, yeah, you got to stay, stay away from this guy. Because, you know, it's, it, to, to misrepresent God is evil. So trying to lead you into, into evil with some nice flowery words and, and all of that. So, yeah, we're going to be talking more about that here in a minute. Yeah. We must remember... These people knew God. These people came from God. God led them out of Egypt, their ancestors out of Egypt and all that. Basically, all he's doing is trying to bring them back. To, so they know, they really know. And I, I think that, gives, that lends to his authenticity. Yes. He's already saying what they've already forgotten or rejected or neglected or whatever the word is. I, I think, I think this, this is the role of, that's to, repent, to bring them back. Right. bring them back as the prophets. But again, that's, that's the message of Romans 1. Remember, they exchanged the truth for a lie. Well, you can't exchange something you don't already have, right? So you have the truth in you, and the prophet's job is to confirm that truth. Now, you can choose to continue to rebel, but you have, have the choice. But the truth is already in you, so that now you choose who I'm going to follow. Yeah. Well, let's give it a try. 1-1. One, one. Good place to start. And we're not going to get very far. First two words, the vision. Stop. <laughs> let's, let's talk about that. I mean, vision is really, really important. Being able to see what is necessary to see. So if you've ever driven a car in a blinding snowstorm or when it's raining super, super, super hard and you're, no matter how fast your windshield wipers work, they don't catch up or you know, if somebody splashes mud up on your windshield and your, your windshield wipers don't work, if there's anything that impedes your vision, don't you slow down an awful lot, maybe you pull off the side of the road and, and clean that off because you know that if I can't see clearly, I'm going to wreck. That's vision in our normal under understanding of things. But in the biblical sense, vision is a little different. So this is the vision God gives to Isaiah. So what, what is a vision in the biblical sense? It obviously involves seeing. What, uh, what, does, what does Isaiah see? The future. The future. So a, a prophetic message that this is going to happen if you continue to do this. So that's what a vision does. And there's, the Bible's full of visions. Um, sometimes they come in the form of a dream. Uh, Joseph, uh, after Jesus was born, you know, has the dream. God says, hey, grab the baby and, and, and Mary and get yourself down to Egypt where, where it's safe and get away from this nut job Herod because he's trying to kill you. Right? So you know, it, it, it could come in that way, but it, the vision, the, the seeing. Uh, John, the whole revelation, is one big honking vision, right? <laughs> With all those details. And there's a number of times where Jesus tells him, you know, write this down, make sure you don't miss this. But you'll notice what, what, what John does. Since it's a vision, he sees it. And he's, he's trying to write it down for us. But most of the time, it's what he sees he can't describe properly. Because there's nothing on earth that is exactly like it. 
And so he says, it's like this. It's not this, but it's kind of like this. The best I can do is, is that. And that's where he, you know, the, you got you know, the, the uh, uh, couple of animals with, with, with the wings, six wings, and, and uh, yeah, a couple of heads, and you just you know, all these different, you know, he has to describe it because there's nothing on earth that, that, that looks like that. So you've got to go, go down the, the detail. But he sees clearly what this is. So that's 22 chapters of a vision. It's a long story, right? So Isaiah basically has 66 chapters of what he sees. That's, that's all this is. is yeah. There are, pay attention how many times quotation marks appear, because that's, that's God literally speaking. So Isaiah gets, gets the attention and then quotes God. Now, as part of a vision, look at verse 2, there's also hearing. And again, in Revelation, John does that a lot. I heard this great thunder. So hearing and seeing are the two operative senses. And so both are at work here. So the vision, yes, absolutely, is seeing, but it's also hearing. So in general, a, rev a, a prophecy is a revelation, is a revealing. And pretty much all the uh, senses, but hearing and seeing primarily. It is made clear what God once shared, so that there is no question. So as the vision unfolds, it's clear that Isaiah is describing the current situation with the Assyrians. And with the details we have here and comparing that to other biblical texts and, and historical accounts, this is more than likely exactly the year 701 B.C., nine years into his ministry. Because the Assyrians have just taken captive all of, all of Israel, interestingly, except Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was a pretty heavily fortified city. So Isaiah describes a scene of desolation, despair, and disease. If you look at verse 2, you'll see that Israel is guilty of rebellion. They have rebelled against me. By the time you get to verse 4, God charges them with corruption. So with a vision, let me ask this question. How many people get the vision? Think back to all the biblical accounts of visions. Is vision something that's shared with the, with the whole country? No. So God doesn't work with committees. He works with individuals. So one person, and that, that goes back to your question, be nice if it was two people to verify <laughs> the same message, right? Like speaking in tongues. But a prophecy is only by one person. So yes, it, it, you do have to pay attention to verify the truth of what is what is being said because you're, you're not going to get any other evidence of it. So that, that, that does make it a little, little, little tougher. But one person gets the message and then reveals that to everybody, anybody who, who will listen. So the charge is you have rebelled and now your current state is you are corrupt. What Come up with some other words to describe corruption or, or, or the effect of corru corruption. What, do, what does corruption do? It dirties or it defiles. Okay. It allows the demonic to 
economic world to manipulate and use you to do whatever they want. That is far too theological. No, that's not. That's exactly. It, 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 it opens you up to, to evil just coming rampant into your life. Right, they're in control. Yep, because you, you offer it. Because it, it, you know, it, it, Scripture is very clear. Evil cannot get into your life until you invite it in. <laughs> and so that's the accusation. You, you, choose, you choose this corruption. You choose to allow all this evil to come in and... Isaiah is just trying to bring, bring you back. But they're pretty entrenched at this point. What else can you say to describe corruption? Fake. Okay. Non-truthful. Good. Any other things come to mind? Leads you away from God. Okay, because it is evil in design, and that's, that's the purpose of evil, is to, by intention, lead you away from God. It's, it's, uh, it's deceiving. Mm-hmm. Deception. Deception yeah. That's sound like a good good description of the devil, right? The father of lies, the great deceiver. Um, those those type of terms. Yep. So, again, that's that's how it gets started. So it's not like, well, I'm going to start off nice and pacify you for a bit, and then then tell you what's what's really on my mind. Nope, right out of the starting block. So the vision. Go back to verse one. There, the the, the list of the four kings that Isaiah is prophet to. Now, verse 3 is kind of interesting. The ox knows his master, the donkey is owner's manager, manger, but Israel does not know, and my people do not understand. The ox and the, don- the, the donkey know their owners, their masters, but Israel doesn't know their master. See that's 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 what corruption does. Uh, maybe another term we could throw out there is it, it, it blinds you from from seeing the truth. <coughs> but that's what's happening to these people. Halfway through verse four, they've forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. And again, that's that's why the call is to repent. Because repent means you can only face one of two directions. You either face God or you face the devil. And so the turning around is the physical process of repentance. I choose to no longer face evil. I will put my back to evil and I will face God. But here, see, Israel has turned their backs toward God. Well, where's your face going? (laughs) Right? Toward the devil. Verse 5, why do you continue to persist, persist in rebellion? You're so wiped out and you don't even realize it. Your country is desolate, verse 7. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. Notice in verses 9 and 10 the, the comparison to Sodom and Gomorrah. And recall what happened there. And again, that's what God is saying. That's what's, that's what's coming your way a destruction like you've never seen before if you don't turn your face toward me but the, the drop down to verse 15 when you spread, spread your hands out in prayer I will hide my eyes from you and even if you offer many prayers I will not listen 
big theological question of the day. Why would God reject anyone's prayers? Because they don't know him. Okay, they don't know him. They don't mean it. Keep going. Wrong praying with the wrong motivation. Wrong motivation? You you were gonna say that. Well, if your mind is deluded, how could you even ask for the right thing? Uh-huh. So you He's a loving father. Prayer, if it starts wrong, cannot end right. <laughs> So yes, yeah, so it comes down to your your, your motivation, how, how you're starting, and so you know if, if you're approaching it wrong, then the, the the end result can't be right. Therefore, God rejects your prayers. Which, um, good. This flies in the face of what we people think about God and His attitude towards us and how prayer works. Yeah. If you're praying to God, man, it's okay. He loves you. He loves you. He will answer your prayers and all that. And that's not right. We, we, we believe we have that, that image of God that no matter where we are, he will listen and hear us and consider us. But that's not true. If if you never talk to God for five years yeah. and then all of a sudden you get into trouble and you say, oh God, here I am. Okay, <laughs> He's, that's not, if you've neglected him all those years or denied him all those years, all of a sudden it's not like a magic moment that it's all turned around. So it's, it's easy to think of God as Santa Claus. Yes, that would be a way to put it. Yeah, when, yeah. I, when I make my list and present it, you better... Better, better give me what I want type of thing. And a lot of people approach it that way. But he's unfriended you on Facebook. Yes. Right. So it, you know, the, it's the motivation. Or another term is the sincerity. I think what Jim is saying is is that it's it's highly unlikely someone that has denied God all these years would all of a sudden become sincere <laughs> in their in their request. It could happen, and I'm sure it has happened. God, On the cross, it happened. God repentance. Right, and that's what he's waiting for—a repentant heart. Um, so, I mean, just last Sunday, you know, the the woman who washed Jesus's feet with her tears and everything, you know, that was her sign of repentance. Not a word spoken. She just showed Jesus, okay, I really messed my life up. I'm going to change. And so, it, yeah, so sincerity is incredibly important in this. And the good news is God knows how sincere you are, and you can't, you can't buffalo God. So that's, he, that's, he, he's gonna, I, that's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah if, he's going to know. If you go to God, you can deny him all your life. And if you go to God with the proper repentance and motivation in your heart, certainly he accepts you back. But no, he's not a Santa Claus where you can go to him go to him with a wish list or with with whatever uh, not acknowledging him as your God as and as being authentic as a God so so the wrong motivation then in prayer is selfish uh, self-seeking self-serving self 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 me 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 right that's that's the wrong motivation of prayer um, and thankfully there's lots of good stories about the good way to pray and the bad way to pray. Remember, Jesus talks to the disciples, and 
on the street corners a Pharisee, you know, who who prays, "Oh Lord, I'm thankful I'm not like Jim." <laughs> that you just happen to be here, uh, and, and you know, and, and I, I'm so glad you love me, Lord, because I'm so good and wonderful, and I'm so glad you despise Jim. And Jesus says, "Well, that's ridiculous, you know, because it's see me, see it's all me." Mm-hmm. And then the other guy wanting to lift his head toward heaven, but simply prays, "Yeah, Lord, forgive me for I'm a sinner." And Jesus said, "That guy gets it, right? The sincerity, the motivation." So if it's if it's selfish, self-seeking, self-serving, then that's that's a bad motivation. So we have to be mindful of, and why Scripture keeps right. Examine yourself. Make sure you know nobody else can do this for you. Make sure that you are personally on the right track with God. Because you can't help anybody until you help yourself. So God brings up Sodom and Gomorrah and really challenges them. By the way, remember remember that. <laughs> I, think, I think verse 14 points out what we're talking. Your festivals and your feasts, my soul hates. Yep. That's because they're done in the, with the wrong attitude. But go back to uh, verse 11 you know your burnt offerings yeah so yeah. so what what that's saying is religious Christian ritual for the sake of ritual is meaningless it's man-made at that point exactly yeah. it's it's just yeah we design what we think is the way to worship God, therefore, if you do that, you're, you're you're good, and we see that for a long period of Christian history. It's just you know going going through the motions, and so the you know in, in particular, um, our sacrament of, of communion in receiving that, and that's why Paul says in Corinthians, you know, examine yourself, check yourself first before you receive this, because you are literally physically bringing Jesus and spiritually into your life. This is my body, this is my blood. Bringing that into your life. And if you're up there with the wrong motivation, as you're walking up and walking past people and you're thinking, oh boy, I'm glad I'm not like that person. I'm glad I'm not like that person. That's the wrong motivation. right? If, if you think you, you're worthy of this, you, you deserve this because you're better than everybody else in the congregation, that's a really bad motivation. But that's what they did. And that's why God rejects their prayers, rejects their, their ritual, rejects their everything they are offering because it, it, it's with the wrong motivation, so the wrong mindset. So we have to make sure individually that we are engaging in a life-changing relationship with Jesus and not just going through the motions of whatever we do in, in worship. We have to take responsibility for that. Because ritual for ritual's sake is meaningless unless it changes the heart. So, look at verse 12. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? You know, I don't want you here, <laughs> right? You know, that's why Paul says, even in, in the giving of our offering, the motive in doing that Paul says, if you're doing it with the wrong motive, keep it. 
it's it's not blessing the church and it's going to be a curse in your life you'd be better off just 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 keeping your money <laughs> if you're if you're not not going to do it out of a sense of you know genuine love of others uh, and it's not not a competition who could give more or anything that's all wrong motivation that's between you and god so what whatever it is that we do in worship and it, it as a church in general i mean even even serving others to serve the uh, uh, community dinner or in giving uh, uh, so supplies for uh, uh, hurricane victims yeah the motivation you do that with is incredibly important if you're serving a community dinner you know and you walk around and make sure everybody knows that you're there and you know you want to you know get get the pat on the back remember Jesus that's all you get you get nothing from God if you walk into Wesley Chapel with one of those, those big buckets and, and hold that up and say, Oh, look at me, how wonderful I am that I'm giving a bucket for the, for the hurricane victims. That's all you're going to get. <laughs> you get. You get nothing from God. That's why Jesus says, yeah, you need to do that just quietly. Yeah. Anybody notices, they notice, but you're not doing it to get public acclaim, to, to get the, the, the pat on the back. But that's what these people were doing. And God says, as a whole, I am rejecting everything you're doing because you have the wrong motivation. God says, I, I, I'm weary of you guys. Verse 14. Your hands are full of blood. The end of 15. So we, we, we describe prayer as the, uh, lifting our hands to heaven. If we're lifting hands, bloody hands to God, and as you read in there, the, the blood is from the abuse of the widows, the orphans, and the poor. <laughs> you, you've abused them to the point of killing them, and yet you're, you're lifting your hands to God and asking God, yeah, like Santa Claus, for whatever you want. Is it any wonder God is not, not responding? It, it, it should be so, so incredibly clear. But these people just don't get it, and they, for several generations, don't, don't get it. Now, verses 16 to 20, something neat goes on here. Uh, and it's real important to, to see this clearly. Isaiah makes, or God gives Isaiah a list of things that God expects now. Don't do this, do this. So let's make our list. Look at verse 16. What's the first thing you're supposed to do? Wash. Wash and make yourself clean. That's not stand still and wait for God to do it for you. See, there's always a response on our part. When we get to heaven, it says we take our robes and wash them in the blood of Christ. It's not we stand there and Jesus hoses us down. We have to do something. We get there and we, we, we take our robes and, and we wash them ourselves. And they become whiter than snow. But we have to do something. That's the way it always is. So here... Make yourself clean. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Right? So salvation is not thrust upon you. It's something you're working toward on a day-to-day -day basis. It's offered. It's a free gift. But you have to accept it. Work it out for yourself. So watch and make yourself clean. Next thing is, next next. Next sentence. Take take your evil deeds. What are you supposed to do with them? 
I'm tired of them. Take them out of my sight. In other words, stop doing wrong. So verse 17 then, okay, then what are we to do, O God? What's the first thing? Do what's right. <laughs> this isn't rocket science, right? But isn't this what we, what we teach children and our grandchildren? These just simple, basic, common sense message. But that's exactly what God has to treat these guys like, like, like children. Learn to do what's right. What's the next thing? Positively speaking. Seek justice and encourage the oppressed. See? Widows, orphans, the poor. They're the oppressed ones. So justice is what is right and just according to what God says. And every prophet God sent was always sent because of the abuse of widows, orphans, and the poor. Because that meant that this country is really messed up if they are willing to do that to these people that really have no voice and can't fend for themselves. People that are really defenseless. And God always sends a prophet to try and straighten that out. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. See, right there it is specifically. That's justice. In other words, stop abusing them. In other words, help them. Now, Jesus clearly says the poor will be with you always. Does that mean we're supposed to just throw our hands up and not do anything? <laughs> do something. You're not going to be able to fix it entirely, but you might be able to help a person or two along the way. Do that. Do whatever you can. But don't, just because a person is poor, don't abuse them. Help them some way. Look at verse 18. Come on, you guys. <laughs> Let's do this together, God says. See the quotes? I'm willing to work with you. So I, I'm telling you, you have to do it, but I'm going to be right there by your side. I'm going to help you. Your sins are like scarlet, they shall, but they shall be as white as snow if you do what I tell you. Verse 19, last one. We're almost the last one. 20 is the last one. What's, what's, what's the next thing we're supposed to do or not do? If you're willing and obedient... See, our response. So we don't just stand there. We have to respond. So if we have a willing heart and we're obedient, we do what God tells us to do. Look at the promise. You will eat the best from the land. You will be blessed beyond measure. And then the last one, a negative note, verse 20. What don't we want to do? Resist and rebel. <laughs> See, there's that word again. You will be devoured by the sword. See? Which one? Two polar opposites. Which one will you choose? So, back to verse 19. I mean, God's imploring the people, use your heads. You know, can't you look at what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Can't you see that I am always firm on this. I don't care what you do, I am going to remain the same on this. Why won't you choose submission 
so that you can receive forgiveness and be restored back to right relationship with me. Talk about a no-brainer. Even the ox and a donkey can figure this one out. But God's people can't. Verses 21 to 24. Verse 21, Isaiah is guilty of becoming a, a harlot because she's making alliances with enemy nations and in so doing, as I said earlier, incorporating some of these pagan religions into the one true religion. Uh, in particular, notice um, Isaiah is going to speak of this a lot uh, using the image of a tree. See the oak? So, you know, that's often, you know, most of the false idols were made out of wood oak right so that's the the imagery the symbolism there and interestingly you know nature worship is very prevalent in our culture today yeah i don't need god i'm just going to go out into nature and hug some trees and that makes me just fine and dandy so isaiah is describing the current state of israel you guys are a mess but he also will reveal What's going to happen if this current situation continues? You've been doing this for a long time. I am not pleased with this. If you don't change, then something's going to be happening here. If you won't repent, there will be dire consequences. So God really is the, the perfect parent because the worst thing a parent can do to a child is make idle threats. Billy, you better do that or... And if you don't do it, Billy logs that into memory <laughs> and said, well, you don't mean what you say. I get to do whatever I want. So God's a perfect parent. He says he's going to do it, and sure enough, he did it. We have to be assured of that today, but he's going to do the same thing. God is making clear what he wants, what he expects, and why he created Israel in the first place. But look at the nonsense he's getting. A bunch of rebellion, a bunch of spoiled children. <coughs> They're like teenagers privileged and entitled rebellious teenagers the entire nation verse 29 see there's there's the oaks and you will be disgraced because of all this nature stuff that you're you're all about it'll be like an oak with fading leaves like a garden without water the mighty man will become tender and his work a spark. Both will burn together with no one to quench the fire. Yuck. <laughs> now again, knowing that and knowing that God means what he says, an ox and a donkey can figure this out, but they can't. If I knew that was coming, I think I'd be smart enough to change. But here we have an entire nation that refuses. <clears throat> So there's a quick run through chapter one. Any other thoughts, questions, comments on chapter one? We're watching a donkey. Don't have pride. Ah, <laughs> that's our downfall. They don't isn't have it? a will. They don't have a will. Yeah. And that's what because the word submission bothers people. Uh huh. We don't like it. And that also goes in with the pride because you. Yep. And what does Proverbs say? Pride comes before the fall, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So, yep. Anything else in chapter one? All right, watch how fast I can get through chapter two. Chapter one was 99% negative. Look how chapter one starts. 
verse 2. In the last days, the mountains of the Lord's temple will be established. Right? There's some hope. As chief among the mountains, it will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. Right? So, real positive sign. This could happen. But it, what Isaiah's done here is, chapter 1 is the current state, and now he's holding out the positive future. That could be if you guys get your act together. So that continues through the first five verses. Chapter 6, got your neck brace out. <laughs> We're going to shift gears quickly. You've, you've abandoned your people, the house of Jacob, right? So now it's back to the judgment. But here, here we have added another layer of rebellion. And it becomes more clear that the, if not the, the core problem, one of the core issues is, and again, because people feel blessed, they feel as though they're doing the right thing. That there, there were a lot of wealthy people in, in Israel in this time who proudly thought that God loved them. that they equated wealth with God's favor. And that's real dangerous, and it's, it's a, a common concept shared today. It's called the, the, the principle of, of prosperity. That you know, if, if, you, if you do what God wants you to do, God's going to give you lots of money. <laughs> You know, there's been more, more than one TV evangelist that said, put your hands on the TV and pray with me, and if you write a check to me today for $1,000, next week God will give you $10,000. Woohoo! Well, there's my retirement. Uh, <laughs> right, so, I mean, it just it doesn't work that way. Never has, never will. But somehow, again, in, in these people back then were very cause and effect. If something bad happens, God hates you. If something good happens, then God loves you. So if God is blessing me, then I want to continue to do what I'm doing. But the problem is these people are getting wealthy because they're 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 stepping on the on, on the the necks of the widows, the orphans, and the poor. <laughs> they're abusing them terribly, taking all their money. And again, God always steps in in the in the, to to protect them. That's his his justice. And so again, part of that is when you see other nations prospering, you integrate their gods into your religious system so they think well these guys are rich if I adopt some of their gods I too will be rich and boom they wind up being rich which to them proves they were right <laughs> but it's completely backwards and again that's why a prophet always shows up bottom line is the, these people were rich in things but bankrupt in spirit again it was just going through the motions Verse 7, uh, back in this day, the, the, the premier sign of wealth and power were chariots and horses. The more of those you had, the more powerful, because they could be used militarily. So they have tons of chariots and horses, which again, what Jim just said, is you know, that led, led to an incredible sense of arrogance and pride. And what arrogance and pride does is convince you you don't need God. See how it goes? It just... Just follows next step. So I can take care of myself. I don't need God. If 
but I'll dabble in some of these other religions and see see if they'll work for me. This God isn't giving me what I want, so I'll, I'll I'll try some others. So your horses, your chariot, your military machine becomes an idol. You trust in that more than you trust in God. Sent by verse twelve, God makes it clear. He has determined a day yet to come when those who live life based on arrogance and pride will be brought low. I'm going to do this, y'all. It's coming. So a common formula you will see is the, the term in that day. Uh, in this chapter alone, it's in verse 11, 17, and 20. So God, God is saying, you know, there's coming a day when this will happen. A specific day. Much like the second coming. There will be a specific day in which all this will happen. So verse 20, you know, in that day, you know, all these material things, all these idols of worship, are they're going to be gone. They will be cast to, see, see the quote, rodents and bats. <laughs> How's that for a description? <laughs> wow. And those who worship these idols, the idols will be thrown to rodents and bats. The people who, 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 who worship the idols, their response is, when they see what's happening, they will try to hide from God. That's a pretty common human reaction. Adam and Eve did it. <laughs> These guys do it, and in Revelation, the same thing happens. That, yeah, when all this judgment comes down on earth, the people try to hide. But God always knows where they are. Two twenty-two. one of the most critical verses in the Bible. Stop trusting in man. <laughs> Now that that that's everything, you know, in 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 man's power, in man's intellect, in man's science, in man's anything. <laughs> Stop trusting in that. That that is not what is going to save you. The the scientific theorem. It's called the string theory. When you look at what that is, that is becoming a scientific religion. Because what that means is that, what it says is that every, every person is, a, you're, you're your own universe. <laughs> and therefore you are your own God. That's what they say. And a lot of people are buying into that because, it, well, I'd like to be my own God. <laughs> so if I understand this theory, then I can be my own God and therefore I don't need God. I mean, that's the kind of craziness we have out there today. And a lot of people are buying into it, just like these people did. But stop trusting in man, because none of us have a guarantee of the next breath we have. God is eternal, and he is the one that we need to follow. Why would you put your ultimate trust in humanity? who, according to so many descriptions in the Bible, is like dust. He's like the grass that is burned into fire. <laughs> We're not permanent. 
or temporary at best. So, and again, man or God, who are you going to put your, your trust in? I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. Each one of us has to decide to do it for ourselves. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But you've got to make that choice. Look at that. We're on schedule. That'll never happen again. Yes, really. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.